you know, it's a sure sign of a deterioration of a society when it no longer gives a strict adherence to the rule of law. Uh, when a nation claims to, to be a nation of laws and yet blatantly ignores whatever law it wants, it ceases to be a just nation. Using what we now call lawfare, uh, the use of the courts to wage war against unfavored classes of people, be it uh, political rivals or religious groups, perverts the purpose of governments and erodes the public's trust in that government. It's even worse when the judicial authorities choose to charge their opponent with an arcane law that hasn't been used in recent memory, uh, over a hundred years. And then there's doing away with a trial entirely and going straight to the punishment phase. Uh, the old Monopoly game scenario, go to jail, go directly to jail, do not collect $100, do not pass go, and do not, I haven't played for a while now, do not pass go and do not collect $100. Civil rights advocates have been uh, complaining about the equal, unequal administration of justice for years. And one of their uh, assertions is of certain races being arrested for driving while black. You've probably heard about that. Uh, harassed for being in the wrong part of town for simply having the wrong skin color. And don't even get me started about the persecution of Christians. Our stand on abortion, the Christianity be the only path to salvation, uh, worshiping no other gods, our failure um, to bow down to authorities as though they themselves are the Almighty, all these things add up to a two-tiered justice system, one for the rich and well-connected and another for the well-intentioned but deemed to be uncooperative average Christian. If you let these injustices go on long enough, soon your nation, your empire, is headed for banana republic status. That is the state of the justice system that ensnares Paul and Silas in our passage in Acts for today. Chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. Oh, what? You thought I was talking about our society today? There is nothing new under the sun. All of the things I have just stated show up in our passage today in Acts. Last week we saw that the Apostle Paul cast a demon out of a pagan, fortune-telling slave girl, uh, exercising not only her, but as F.F. Uh, F. Bruce said also, her earning potential and, and the profits of her owners. As such, our passage today in Acts reads, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. 
advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You know that your society is upside down when it is not the slave owners who are vilified, but those doing an act of kindness. I pointed out last week that if you find yourself in a pagan, false god, demon-worshipping society, being possessed by a demon is seen as a good thing, something positive for society. By casting out the demon of fortune-telling from the slave girl, it is Paul, in their eyes, who has done an antisocial act. He is the one acting against society. It's like Christianity today being accused of being a religion of white supremacy because we believe in a God of order and reason who calls us to both productive work and good works. That's seen as destructive to the ends of, let's just say, social workers. They say that if you believe in those things, if you believe in hard work, if you believe in order, if you believe in reason, then you are a white supremacist because only white supremacists believe in those kind of things. Who are we to call society to showing love and treating people with decency and goodness? After all, not all people are good. Verse 19a reads, as we break down this passage today, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. The first thing to note here is that slavery is not as is being taught in the world today. The invention of white southern Americans. Slavery has gone on since It's lost in the mists of time. It's existed around the world from time immemorial. And it was Western Christians who first abolished the institution in England first, and then in the United States, and then in much of the Western world. And yet, today, slavery is as prevalent as it's ever been. And by numbers, because of the population increases, There are more slaves in the world today than there ever have been. In fact, there's probably more slaves in the world today than there have been since the uh, beginning of time. And though slavery is talked about in Scripture, and you'll hear people say this all the time, well, God doesn't condemn slavery. Well, I read Philemon where uh, Paul tells the owner of the slave Onesiphorus, that he doesn't want him to want to have to order him to free his slave, but that he would basically consider it a favor to him and a charge paid to an account owed to Paul. God 
does not condone slavery. <clears throat> Jewish law on slavery, first of all, Jewish law on slavery between two Jewish brothers, between Hebrews, was more what we would call indentured servitude. The slave himself sold himself into slavery because of a lack of money or outstanding debts, and he sold himself to an owner for a time only. And that time was specified. And if a year of jubilee fell during the specified time, he was to be freed irregardless. What we think of as slavery, called in Old Testament times man-stealing, okay, where you go and you take a man and you make him a slave, was a death sentence proposition. It was a crime. It was a capital crime. So, not so Roman slavery that we're talking about here today. Roman slavery um, is what we think of as slavery. As many as um, 20% of the Roman Empire's population were slaves. And those were mainly gained by taking the loser in a battle with Rome as captive slaves. This slavery was a complete mastery. It's called uh, dominium. Okay, You had dominium over your slave. They belonged to you. And anything you cared to do to the slave was just. In fact, you could just summarily have the slave executed because you were tired of, tired of looking at him that day. And there was no penalty. As such... The owners of this Philippian fortune teller had complete control over her earnings and her lost income was their lost income. This was seen by Roman law as an attack on property rights, which I love, love this. There are two occasions in Acts where an apostle is attacked by Gentiles, and both of them are over the issue of property rights. The next one comes in chapter 19 with Paul in Ephesus, and we'll be getting there, so we won't go into it in debt. But the Romans took their property rights very seriously. When we get to um, Ephesus, I'll just share this. Paul had converted so many people in the city of Ephesus that a silversmith to Artemis had lost so much business. Nobody was buying his silver works. Business had completely fallen off. Um, and because of that, Paul was once again attacked, beaten, and driven out of the city. So, the entirety of verse 19, we've just covered 19a, the entirety reads, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. The slave girl's owners were intent on getting immediate justice. And uh, what do they say? Justice del delayed is justice denied. I'm sure that Paul and Silas might have liked to have the justice, justice delayed just a little bit. You'll notice, and this is the second point of my opening, uh, where... Uh, talking about driving while black, you'll notice that only Paul and Silas were arrested. Well, hold it. 
we have Timothy there. Uh, we have Luke there. Why are only Paul and Silas arrested? Well, this isn't a case of driving the wall black, but it is a case of preaching while Jewish. Okay? Uh, do you remember a couple weeks ago when I was talking about um, a description from the second century of what Paul looked like? Uh, I'll only cover the high points. He was a man of small stature, with a bald head and crooked legs, with eyebrows meeting, eyebrows meeting on his forehead, and nose somewhat hooked. He was a very Semitic-looking man, okay? Paul was a swarthy foreigner in the eyes of the Greeks and Romans, whereas Luke was entirely Greek. He was a Gentile convert to Christianity, and Timothy was half Greek, half Jewish, and he probably also looked Greek. Therefore, the Jews were arrested, and the Greeks walked. Okay, so verse 20 says, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. Now, that sort of puts a point on it. These, the magistrates that they were taken to, there were two to a city um, uh, appointed to control the, to control the law, to, to make decisions. They were known as duumvir in Latin. Duum means of two, and vir is Latin for man. So two men who are making these decisions... If you have a different version, it will not say duumvir, and it doesn't even here, says magistrates in mine. Luke gives them the title praetors, or praetor, which was an elected magistrate and a slightly higher status than the duumvir. So I don't know if Luke was uh, currying favor here or not, because that is not what they were. The lingering racism against Jews in the Roman Empire is captive in the charge that first states these men are Jews. Now, the Jewish rebellion against the Romans has been going on for a long time now. And and the Jews were looked at as a troubling presence even though they were accepted in the um, Roman Empire. They were a very recognized faction, but Jews were still often viewed with suspicion. The second charge against Paul and Silas, they are disturbing our city, was a serious crime to the Romans. This was disturbing of the Pax Romana, and we've talked about, let's just call it disturbing the peace. We have that uh, term today. Uh, But it is disturbing of the empire's peace. So dedicated were Roman rulers to enforcing that peace at all costs that, you'll know this story, Pontius Pilate condemned Jesus to death while admitting that he was an innocent man. But his crucifixion would pacify the Jewish leaders and therefore, as the Jewish leaders themselves said, it's better than one man die than all of us be destroyed. Verse 21 says, Continuing with the charges, this is the fourth charge, a third, third charge, no, fourth charge. 
They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, this fourth charge is technically true. There was a Roman law on the books from early in the Roman Empire hundreds of years before. Early in the Roman Empire, Roman citizens were discouraged from adopting foreign customs. Uh, This was because back then, uh, Romans were required to practice the state cult, the state religion, let's call it. But not since the early empire had that been enforced, and any religion was tolerated as long as it didn't violate the Roman peace. Remember that even Roman centurions at this time were allowed to be Jewish proselytes. We have seen throughout this ministry of the early church, they're going to the synagogue and they're talking to the Gentile uh, proselytes. Well, that just means that in many cases they're Roman citizens. They're openly practicing the Jewish religion, taking the foreign customs, as did the Roman centurions. A charge such as this brought against Paul and Silas was nothing more than sensationalism. But, as we can see from our uh, political prosecutors of today, sensationalism works. Okay, You make a big enough outrage and you get people interested in pursuing the ends you want pursued. Verse 22 says, The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, all pretense of justice has been done away with. F.F. Bruce says that people such as Paul and Silas needed to be taught to know their proper place and not trouble their betters. So the deep state of A.D. 49 got down to business. There was no serious investigation of the charges that had been brought. Paul and Silas were then stripped naked in the marketplace, which first of all uh, was a humiliation, and then handed over to the magistrates' police enforcers. I could draw contemporary events into this, but I'm not going to. The men that they were turned over were called lictors in uh, Latin. They carried, as a symbol of office, they carried a bundle of rods surrounding an axe. Okay? And uh, this symbol of office was um, to show you that the magistrates had the right to inflict both corporal and capital punishment. The rods were for corporal punishment, for beating, caning, as you would, and the uh, axe for something more serious. This symbol of their office, and we'll just bring all these things in, uh, was called a fasces. We get the word fascist from it, okay? This was also the symbol of fascist Italy during World War II, The swastika, which is also an ancient symbol, was the German uh, fascist symbol. This fasces, the rod with an axe inside of it, the bundle of rods with the axe inside of it, was a symbol of Italy. 
Paul and Silas were then savagely beaten with these birch rods. Uh, birch is a strong wood, by the way. I'm a woodworker, so I know these things. It is not, you're not hitting them with pine. You're not hitting them with willow. You're hitting them with probably a one and a half inch dowel of birch as hard as they could hit them. Wood was strong enough, thick enough, that it would not break. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, uh, verse 25, Paul, in his list of indignities that he has gone through, the sufferings of his ministry trial, mentioned that he had been beaten with rods three times. This is one of them. We do not have a record of the other two. We don't know what other times he was beaten. Uh, For all that Paul suffers in his ministry, in his ministry to the Gentiles and the Jews, mentioning all the times he was beaten or stoned, wasn't important. It happened so often. So this is one of those times. After this severe beating, they were turned over to the city jailer, and this is still without trial. So they're now they're going to be jailed without trial. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. I don't know if safely is the right word here. I think the word is securely. Okay? Uh, they're already not safe. I think that the, the charge was to keep them secure. A Roman jailer was usually a retired Roman soldier. And Roman soldiers, uh, one of the commentators said, actually learned many fine things, but kindness was not one of them. Okay? Roman soldiers were expert at keeping prisoners secure. We'll see later in Acts that uh, when Paul was being transported as a prisoner to Rome, he was shipwrecked. And during the shipwreck, the Roman soldiers guarding the prisoners were preparing to kill them all. Because it was not a problem, as I've talked about with slaves, for the Roman soldiers to kill a prisoner. The problem was to allow somebody to escape from your control. That was the problem. So, the Roman soldiers are preparing to kill all of the prisoners being transported to Rome when Paul speaks up and says, hey, we're all here. You know, let's not get on with this, uh, this killing right yet. The, Philippi- the Philippian, I, I almost said Filipino, so if I do slip and say Filipino jailer, the Philippian jailer considered Paul and Silas important enough to keep them very safe indeed. Um, Verse 24 shows just what measures the jailer would take to ensure Paul and Silas would not escape. 24 says, Having this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens. They had a right of appeal. And they did not speak up and say, hey guys, we're Roman citizens here. We're supposed to be free from treatment such as this. There are laws for foreigners in the Roman Empire, and there are laws for citizens. We will see later on, Paul does appeal to the emperor 
uh, in Rome, and it does not work out particularly well for him. But Scripture does not record a protest by Paul and Silas to this treatment, nor did they make an appeal through their Roman citizenship. It is possible that they both found it um, safer to be put in prison than to be turned out to the mob outside uh, that was calling for their hide. The jailer, knowing that he was responsible for their incarceration to the point of forfeiture of his own life, and we'll see that later also, but you did not allow your prisoners to escape or you would suffer their fate. The jailer thus chose to put the two in what we would call maximum security, but what is called here the inner prison. It is the furthest inside the uh, the jail gates. It is something you're not supposed to be able to um, escape from. But just to make sure they didn't, he had them placed in leg stocks. Now, we've all seen... Representations of Puritan America with people in stocks. Well, that's not these stocks. These stocks, uh, when we think of stocks and putting them in leg stocks, we think of two two holes in it. You know, stock comes down here. No, there were a number of leg holes in these stocks, and they could make it very uncomfortable for you for where they locked your legs down at. And locking, we have no reason to suspect they were nice to Paul and Silas here on how they chose to do this. And when you're placed in these leg stocks at uh, certain angles, it is forcing your hips out of joint. Uh, It keeps you from being able to sleep. And I uh, think we'll see that later on also, that uh, Paul and Silas are not sleeping. But to hold this... um, Uh, position, sitting on the hard floor for any length of time, was painful to the point of torture. It was not considered torture. Romans knew how to torture. This was not it. But it was painful to that point. It is in this situation then that they are left to pass the night. Now, you know, I started this sermon out, and we'll get to the night next week, but I started this sermon out with a series of statements about a nation with deterioration of standards in the law and administration of justice on a two-tiered justice system that favors one group to the detriment of another, to using lawfare to punish political prisoners, to the use of arcane statutes to charge your enemies with. I covered on the opening, uh, the persecution of Christians for advocating for beliefs that have been mainstream now for 2,000 years. And actually, uh, at the time of Paul, what they were pushing was Jewish law and had been also law for 2,000 years. It's not like we're making anything up out of whole cloth today or even back at the time of Paul. I will just simply point out that the Roman Empire in 49 AD was pursuing these same lawless policies that we see in our country today. And um, 
I know we think that God is removed uh, from the events of our time, that he does not intervene in the face of injustice and that the godless heathen will continue to prosper while subjugating God's saints at the same time. I will just simply point out to you that the Roman Empire does not exist anymore. Okay, it was impervious in 49 AD. It couldn't be destroyed. No enemies were coming against it. And a couple hundred years later, it's gone. That mighty empire collapsed shortly by historical measures after these legal abuses became operational policy. God institutes and removes governments. And he does it all the time. We do not often see his hand. We might not see the methods he uses. But God has promised to punish evil. You know, Aaron was just speaking to me about the Burning Man festival out in the desert, you know. And it was a celebration of the sun. It's been getting more and more satanic as it goes along, okay? In the middle of the desert. And you will all remember this storm three uh, a week ago where it rains for three days and it absolutely demolished Burning Man out in the desert. It turned the Nevada desert, baking hot desert, into a muddy quagmire. Did God do that? Did God look at the depravity and the satanic activity going on at Burning Man and say, not this year. Let's deal with this another way. Woe to those in our own times who believe they are safe, be they politicians, or government officials, or the FBI or the CIA, or tech titans, or entertainment executives, or anyone else who insists on shoving ungodly policies and ideas on an unwilling public. God is not asleep. God sees their actions. The Roman Empire thought it was too mighty to fall. But the Roman Empire is no more. And it will be a sad day if we come to say that about the United States and the way that it is going. So, every Wednesday, Debbie makes sure that at our prayer meeting, we pray for the United States, and that the government will change its way. I think it's wise for us to keep that on our prayer list every week. Let's close in prayer.